Hey there, good morning, once again. Uh, my name is Jaime, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I am glad that you are here. Welcome to Chatham Community Church. We're glad that you're joining us this morning. Uh, I, uh, I was so excited this morning because I saw our greeters and our ushers handing out a lot of welcome bags, which means that we have a number of guests here. So if this is your first time, or if just the first time that we realized you were a guest here and handed you a welcome bag, we're so glad you're here. Uh, at the end of the service, I'm going to be in the back under that uh, emergency exit sign. Come say hi. I'd love to hear your name, a little bit about how you found us and how you ended up in Chatham County. We're so glad that you are with us this morning. Um, I am from uh, the island of Puerto Rico, and uh, which you may have seen in the news recently because we had another uh, pretty significant hurricane affecting our island and have continued uh, problems with the power grid going on. And in recent years, there's been a movement, a growing momentum in Puerto Rico to return to something called the days of the citizen legislator or the legislator of the people. And it's, uh, it's hearkening back to the way the legislature, uh, the legislative branch functioned in years past in Puerto Rico, which is that the role of a legislator wasn't a full-time role. So if you ran for and got elected to our parallels for Senate and Congress, uh, you kept your profession, right? You kept your day job. And in fact, you spent most of your time in your town with your day job, uh, with your constituents, and then at designated times in the year, you'd make your way from wherever you were in the island to San Juan, the capital, uh, to our capital building there, and, uh, and you'd come for a brief legislative session. Now, there was some work in between sessions, right? And uh, this was back in the days where people would write letters and use the phone, and so there'd be communication going, that, going on that uh, Pieces of legislature would be written before the session, committees would be in some kind of work, but it would happen sort of outside your regular business hours, right? So it would happen in the evenings or on weekends or at other times. And what's happened is that people have done studies about that time as compared to the time after this type of uh, dynamic changed. And what they found is that the time of the citizen legislate, the legislator was an incredibly efficient and effective time uh, in government in Puerto Rico. And it kept the cost of government incredibly low. And given the state of the economy in Puerto Rico currently and the consistent concerns about corruption and uh, inefficient bureaucracy, it's no wonder people want to bring that back. And in fact, I think that might be true in other places as well. But, but I think what people want, I think there's more to what people want than just more efficiency and effectiveness and low costs. Part of what the days of the citizen legislator or the legislator of the people did, part of what those days did, is that they gave people a sense of confidence that if you decided to run for office, and you were elected, you, you probably really wanted to serve. Because it was hard to add a legislative role to the job you already had, the responsibilities you had with family, maybe the responsibilities you had with church. You, you had to have a deep desire to serve because you weren't making a career out of being a politician. So there was this innate sense that if you were running for office, if you were choosing to get into politics, you did it out of a desire to serve, to do some good for your fellow citizens. And the political arena is one of those arenas where we want what we know as public servants. It's one of those areas where we intrinsically want people who want to serve. But in Puerto Rico, it's become, and maybe not just in Puerto Rico, for many and not all, something very different. With people getting into politics as a career, 
not getting much done, getting what feels like excessively wealthy, and seemingly more concerned about keeping their office than about caring for their constituents or doing good. Maybe that's true in more places than just Puerto Rico. But politics isn't the only space where we want people who have a desire to serve. The church is one of those other spaces where we have a sense that this community and its leaders should be about serving in some way, should be about doing some good for the places where they are at. But sometimes it goes in a very different direction, doesn't it? Uh, I've heard some people say that some churches care most about the three B's. They care more about the three B's than anything else. What are the three B's? Buildings, butts, and bucks. Now listen, caring and being conscious of the spaces that we cultivate is important. Caring about the people who are part of our community is important and paying attention to people as they come and as they go is important. And caring about stewarding the resources God gives us is important as well. But they're not necessarily most important. And yet in some places it feels like churches and particularly pastors and leaders uh, are more concerned about crafting a message, about increasing their platform, about growing their renown and reach than they are about caring for their community. And that just doesn't sit right. That starts to feel wrong. Um, One of the things that really intrigued me about four and a half years ago when I was doing some uh, job searching uh, was stumbling across Chatham Community Church and finding out that Chatham Community Church had this thing that they called Chatham Serves. This is the Chatham Serves logo. Uh, I love that idea as I investigated it more and more, that this idea that instead of holding a Sunday service, right, which is the epitome of the three Bs, instead of holding a Sunday worship service, the church would go out into the community and it would do the things that the community needed to be done. What that told me as I was looking at different jobs and different churches and different pastoral roles was that the people here at Chatham Community Church were seriously trying to live out one of the core reasons that church exists, to bring about good, to serve, to do what Jesus modeled for us in caring for the people that were around him. So as we get ready For the first Sunday Chatham serves that we've had since before COVID. In fact, for many of us, because our church has changed so much since COVID started, for many of us, it's just our first Chatham serves in general. As we get ready for that, we want to spend some time today talking about why serving is so important, why it's a key part of the life of the people of God. And it's all wrapped up in this idea we've been talking about since the end of August, this idea of soaring. We've been talking about soaring since late August here, and you've heard me say this a bunch of times if you've been here before, that when we talk about soaring, we're talking about thriving, about flourishing, about making a difference, doing things that matter, doing things that count. And it's the kind of life we all want to live because we were made to soar, as we've said so often during this series. We were created to live lives that thrive, that flourish, that make a difference, that do things that count, that make an impact. And we've said before that it's not just that we were made to soar, but as the people of God, as the family of God, we were made to soar together. In fact, all of humanity was made to soar together, was made to soar in community. In fact, we soar best when we soar together. And today we're going to add 
one last uh, thing to this idea of soaring, and that's that we soar together as we serve together. We soar together as we serve together, which is why serving is not just something at Chatham Community Church that we do on Chatham Serve Sundays, but it's something that we do throughout the year and as many opportunities as we have. So let's take a look at a passage and see what that looks like. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. We're going to read a few verses there. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up on the screen. And if you have a Bible but aren't sure where Galatians is, you've got to flip over to the New Testament. So uh, get past Psalms, get past all those uh, prophetic books whose names you don't necessarily recognize. Uh, get past John, Mark, uh, uh, Luke, and uh, Matthew. Uh, get through some of the letters. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Uh, but right there, and there's a bunch of books that end in I-A-N-S, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthians. Among them is Galatians. So, you know, just flip back and forth until you find Galatians. And we're going to be in chapter 6, and we're going to start reading in verse 2. Here we go. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, early on, the passage can be a little confusing because on the one hand, we have this exhortation to carry each other's burdens. And then right, right after, very close by, we have this admonishment or this, this idea that each one should carry their own load. Right, and so on the one hand, we can say, okay, so I have to carry other people's burdens and I have to carry my own as well. That sounds heavy, but, but okay, we'll, we'll try that. And then you start sort of working that on your own, but wait a second, wait a second. If I am carrying my burden and then I go help someone else carry their burden, am I keeping them from carrying their own burden? And then how does that work out? And it can be a little bit confusing to figure out how we sort these two things. It feels like there's some tension there. Am I keeping people from doing what is theirs to do? Part of why this can feel confusing is that we can't help but read scripture with our social and cultural lens. And particularly here in the West, in America, one of the, uh, the chief influences in how we live and how we see things is through the lens of individualism. I'm not going to say that individualism is bad or good. It simply is. And it shapes how we engage with things, how we read scripture. It's there. But the original authors and the original audience of this letter did not have a lens of individualism. They had a lens of collectivism, of community. So when they write and when they read, that's going on in the background. There are things that they don't say that they assume that we need to sort of work out and become aware of, otherwise we'll misread. Otherwise we'll end up feeling that there's a tension here where there never intended to be tension, that there is a contradiction where for them it's obvious that there isn't. 
See, what they assume as they write this and read this is they assume that people understand that life is meant to be lived in interdependence. Right? That's the very nature of the communal mentality that, or the collective mentality, that there is interdependence. And people have realized that and grabbed hold of it as time has gone by. Dr. King uh, writes in one of his letters that in a very real sense, all of life is interrelated. He says, all men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. And so when we take that idea, when we take that lens, and we read this passage again, the tension kind of dissipates. There doesn't seem to be a contradiction. So when we read it, we can't think about it this way. We can't think of it as, okay, so there's a lot of disparate people. Each one is on their own, and I have to carry my burden. And then I look at someone, and they have a burden, and I go over there, and I take their burden off them. That's not the way for us to see it. That would be how an individualist lens would see it. A collective lens looks at it differently. Think of it, rather, as a community of people who are all together. And among them, there are a number of burdens. Different burdens, different weights of burdens, different types of burdens, different sizes of burdens. But there are also a number of different strengths and abilities and opportunities in that community. And the goal is to carry all of it among all of us. The goal is to carry all of it among all of us. The dynamic in that type of community or in that picture which is the dynamic of the people of God, of the kingdom of God. And it's the dynamic that God designed humanity for, is that everyone's load ends up feeling lighter because every person is doing their part. Everyone's load ends up feeling lighter because everyone is doing their part. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone brings something to the table. Let me give you a picture of what that looks like. In a previous professional experience, I led a team. We were part of a nonprofit, and I supervised a team. And part of our job included uh, fundraising. We were each responsible for raising uh, a budget that we had all been given, which included our salary. And so the way we had been told to do that was we would make a list of people we knew, organizations we knew. We would contact them. We would go meet with them. We would ask them to give support. Uh, then we would put them on our newsletter list, and we would send them thank you letters, and we would check in with them. And once a year, we would ask them to consider increasing or give end-of-year gifts. There was this way of doing things. And some people were really good at that. Their networks were uh, predisposed to giving in that type of way. They knew people who had, uh, greater a who had access to greater resources. And so they would raise their budget quickly. And then there would be people who had different networks. They were great at sending thank you notes, at caring for their people. But they didn't have the kinds of networks that would produce the budget that they need. And so it created this sense of tension, this sense of anxiety. It would create this sense of lack. And so as I was leading our team and I was finding people who were struggling with that and people who were doing it very quickly but then struggling with the follow-up and were losing donors year after year, I was like, all right, all right. How about we do this differently? I propose that we all gather together, join our budgets and then do all this fundraising work together. And here's what that looked like. We had people who had more than enough networks, not just to fund their budget, but to fund parts of other people's budgets. So I told them, all right, don't just stop contacting people when you've raised 
your money. Contact more people. Let's contact everyone that we know collectively. And then there was this other person. You're really good at putting together newsletters. What takes you an hour takes me four. So you're going to write our newsletters. And we divided the tasks like that, and we started working like a well-oiled machine. And within a year, everyone had gotten salary increases. We were being more effective in ministry. We had recruited people to our team, to our support team that had never even heard about us. We had engaged with more organizations than we had ever engaged. And most of all, on the team, there was a sense of lightness rather than dread about this part of the job. It was so effective that we extended it to all parts of our job, and our team started being effective, started doing good work in ways we had never done before. Everyone's load started to feel lighter because everyone did their part. Everyone did what was theirs to carry. Everyone carried what they could carry and shared what they couldn't. See, in the family of God, I bring my strengths I bring my abilities, I bring my gifts, and I also bring my burdens. I also bring the things that are heavy for me to carry. And here's the thing, my strengths and abilities and gifts might not be the best thing to carry my burdens, but yours might be. And mine might be the best to carry yours. And when we come together and each of us do our part, the load feels lighter. And everyone gets to soar, and everyone gets to play. Leaning into this sense of interdependence, not just as a church, but modeling it as we go out and serve the community during Chatham Serves and at other times, lightens the collective communal load. And it contributes to thriving. It contributes to flourishing. It contributes to soaring. This is what we're going to do as we go out next week. We are going out modeling something and speaking a word to the community by how we serve, by what we give. Because the person who needs their roof fixed might not have the skills or resources to fix their roof, but we have people who do. And so their roof is going to get fixed. The person who needs a ramp built might not have the skills and resources to have their ramp built, but we do. And we're going to get to lighten their load. However, those people might have the skill to encourage. They might have the skill to cook a good meal. I don't know what skills they have, but at some point there might be someone who has a load that needs to be carried and they will have the strength, the gifts, the ability to carry that load. And the collective communal load will lighten and we will speak that word. We will speak a word of hope. We will speak a word of humility as we serve next week, as we soar. Speak a word of hope and humility. Here's why it's hope and humility. There's a danger in serving. There's a danger that comes up in serving, and there's a danger in helping others. There is a danger in feeling like we're the type of people who can do a lot and don't need much. The danger is that when we're those kinds of people, we might end up inflating our own sense of importance. Right, if we're the people who are always put together, who can always give, who never feel like we need, there is a danger to inflate our own sense of self-importance, and that stems from comparison. You can't consider yourself someone that doesn't seem to need unless you're comparing yourself to people that do. You can't consider yourself someone who has it all put together unless you're comparing yourself to people who you think don't. There's a danger in that, a danger of self-importance. 
And the passage instructs us against this. It tells us to not compare ourselves to each other. But the flip side is true also in that danger. It's not just that there's a danger in feeling like you've got it all put together. There is a danger in feeling like you don't have it put together, like you have nothing to contribute, like you're the person who always has need. There's a danger of feeling shame. There's a danger of feeling like you don't have much value because you feel like you're just always in need and don't have much to offer. And the word of humility and hope, the word in this passage corrects those two dangers. It talks about not comparing ourselves, but to take pride in what? In what's ours to do. It's not about whether or not you can carry the burden that you happen to have right now. It's whether or not when given the opportunity, you contribute what's yours to contribute. You may not have that opportunity every day. You may not have that opportunity every week. You may not find people whose burden you can carry very often, but when you do, when you do, do it. That's what counts. See, here's the gift in the family of God when it comes to need or serving needs, having needs or meeting needs, that at the end of things, we're not going to be asked, how much did you do? We're not going to be asked, how much of your burden were you able to carry? We're not going to be asked, did you even try? We're going to be asked, did you do what was yours to do? Did you contribute your strengths and abilities, whatever they were, to the needs that presented themselves? Did you do your part? That frees us to soar as we serve together. It frees us to soar because it frees us to be honest and open with the needs that we have and we can't carry, knowing that there must be someone in the community who can help us carry it. And it frees us to not feel pressure to always find a way to justify sharing our needs by having something to give, by simply keeping our eyes open when a need presents itself that we can meet, where our gifts, our strengths, and abilities are useful in saying, I can do that. I can contribute there. This is what makes us free to soar as we serve together. There's a movie that came out about a decade and a half ago called Secondhand Lions, and it stars uh, the great uh, Robert Duvall and Michael Caine, along with Haley Joel Osment. And uh, Duvall and Caine star as great uncles to Haley Joel Osment, who is probably a, a young teenager in this movie, and he's staying with them, and they're a bit eccentric, and they don't know, they've never had kids, they don't know really how to care for a child, but they've been stuck with him all summer, and so they keep trying to find things to do with him, and one of the things they decide to do is they decide they are going to plant a vegetable garden. And so uh, they get seeds. I can't remember if it was from a traveling salesman. This is how back that movie goes and where it's set. Or whether they mail order them. And they, they you know, they, and here you're going to hear how little I know about agriculture. They prepare, the, they till the soil. Yes, that's the right word. They till the soil. They sow the seeds. They tend to the garden. And, and you know, as the weeks go by or months go by, you see plants sprouting up. And the child notices at one point that all the plants look very similar and so he asked one of his uncles, like, what, 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 what did we plant? And, you know, he brings out the, the sort of the, the envelopes they got. And oh, this one says rutabagas, this one says potatoes, this one says corn, uh, you know, that's tomatoes, whatever. They go by and by and by and by. But as the weeks go by, it becomes very evident that everything is corn. <laughs> See, it didn't matter what the package said. It didn't even matter what picture of a plant was on the package. 
What mattered was what was inside, what the seeds were. The passage gets at this idea that what's inside matters, that when we serve, when we help other people with their burden, it's not just about what we do externally, but what we bring with us internally. That's what he's getting at when he talks about us reaping what we sow. When we serve, it can appear that we're doing good, but if what's inside is not good, it will end up being tainted. It will end up being soiled. In the passage, it talks about it, we will reap for destruction. It will not produce lasting good for the people we serve. It will not produce for us. But we can also do good and be filled with what's good inside. And then it will, it will lead to thriving. It will lead to flourishing. It will lead to life. And what makes a difference is what's on the inside. See, in order to soar while we're serving, it's not just about doing our part, but about infusing it with love. When we bring those two together, then we soar. Then there's lasting good. Then there's life. If you mess with either one of those, with doing our part or infusing it with love, you reap destruction. Here's what happens when we don't do our part. This is one of the ways we can mess with this equation, if I can call it that. When we don't do our part, it means that there's something missing. That there is a need that is there that is not being met. It creates a heavier burden for people. It creates unnecessary hardship or need. And it robs us of the, it means we keep ourselves from the opportunity of buying into the idea of community, of soaring with others. But we, we don't mess with that just by not doing our part. We can also do more than what's our part. And when we do more than what's just our part, we also mess with this equation. We end up over-functioning. We end up robbing other people of their opportunity to serve and keeping them from bringing their gifts and skills and talents to the table. And it also ends up leading to compassion fatigue. The passage alludes to that when it says, let us not become weary of doing good. I'm convinced that one of the reasons we become weary of doing good is that we overfunction. We do more than what's our part. We do more than what's ours to do. On the other hand, you can also mess with this equation by doing it without love. And the thing with doing it without love is that you might still be doing something that appears good, but you're doing it for yourself. You're doing it for selfish motives. You may be doing it with a sucky attitude. And if you've ever served for selfish motives or with a sucky attitude or seen someone serving for selfish motives or with a sucky attitude, you know it tastes sour. You know it just doesn't sit right. It doesn't settle. Some of the dangers of this is you can end up caring more about the thing that you're doing than the person that you're doing it for. And people become projects, and no one likes to be a project. No one likes to feel like a project. But also the other danger is you might do something that you think is good, or at least makes you look good, but is not actually what the person needs and ends up burdening their more. But when these two elements come together, when we do what's ours to do, and when we infuse it in love, then there's fruit. Then there's fruit for eternal life. There is fruit for thriving. There is fruit for flourishing. There is enduring good 
good that lasts. And it's not just that there's good that lasts for the people that we serve, but there's good that lasts in us and we endure in doing good. We soar. We soar together. There's also fruit that's over and above. And I'm going to give two examples of fruit in soaring together that that I feel are over and above connected to Chatham Serves. There's a person who's been a part of our community for a number of years. And that person's point of connection to us was we got a project from the Council on Aging. And we showed up at this person's house and did a bunch of things that this person needed. This person had been disconnected from church and from God for years. But folks showed up. Folks loved her. Folks attended to her. Folks cared for her. That person started coming to church. That person has experienced life change in the years they've been here. Fruit that's over and above. The good was done that day. Care was given. Things were repaired. Things were built. Things were cleaned. But because it was done with love, because it was the good that was needed, because people did their part, There's been fruit upon fruit upon more fruit in that person's life. Fruit over and above. There's another person who was part of our community a while back. And when I met with them, I asked them, so, well, you know, why why us? Why Chatham Community Church? And they told me, well, for many years here in Chatham County, I used to drive a route to work. And I used to see this house. And I used to see that this house had a ramp, which meant someone who who needed wheelchair access. And over the years, I saw the ramp deteriorate. And I kept telling myself, you know, one day I'm going to stop and I'm going to fix that ramp. But, you know, life. And one day I was driving by and the ramp was fixed. And I thought, oh, that's so good. Someone did that. And then a few years later, I was feeling like it was time to come back to church. And I was looking for churches in the area. And I happened upon your website. And I happened to see that you did Chatham Serves. And I was looking through pictures. And what did I see? I saw that ramp. And I knew this was the community I needed to be a part of. We don't do Chatham serves for that. But there's fruit upon fruit upon fruit, fruit over and above that comes when we soar while serving, when we do our part and infuse it in love. A quote that's been popular for many years, it's often attributed to John Wesley, but is, can't be really traced to him, is do all the good that's yours by all the means you can and all the ways you can in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. I'm exhausted just reading that quote. So let me paraphrase it for us. And this is my exhortation for us. Not just as we go towards Chatham serves, but as we seek to soar while serving. Do the good that's yours to do. By the means that have been made available to you. In the ways that you have access to. In the places God has set before you at the times he's prepared for you to the people he's given you to love for as long as you have the opportunity to. The invitation today is to soar while serving. There are two ways I want you to respond. I want us to respond this morning. I want you to sign up for a Chatham Serves project. You have a paper here. You don't have to fill it right now, but I'd love for you to fill it out before you leave. I'm going to give you two notes on this. One is that the Pittsburgh projects are on the, on the other side of the page. And there are projects there. There are projects there that I am convinced that you have strengths, gifts, and abilities for. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I am signed up to lead a project that I have no idea how we're going to do. But I have the strength and the ability to show up and follow instructions. 
and I know someone has already signed up who can give them. So I'm going to show up, and I'm going to learn how to pressure wash, <laughs> and I'm going to figure out what needs to be mowed and make sure I don't mow down flowers, which I have done in the past. <laughs> That's the st- I mean, I don't bring a lot to that, but I bring that. That's what I'm going to bring. Bring yourself. Bring your strengths. Bring your abilities. Sign up for a project. Do it before you leave. Drop it in the box. Uh, we'll sign you up on the page, and you'll get an email confirmation. And the second thing I want you to do this week is I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God would infuse your good work with love and head into Chatham Serves filled with love, filled with anticipation, filled with freedom to simply do your part, no more and no less, and then see the harvest that God brings from that. Would you pray with me? I'm gonna invite the worship team to join me on stage as I pray. Gracious God, Thank you, Lord, for Chatham Serves. Thank you that it was happening here long before many of us got here. Thank you that it will, um, in Jesus' name, be an enduring legacy of this congregation, of this community that you've called here. Lord, I pray that one day Chatham Serves uh, and Chatham Serves types, type events would be the norm, not just for every faith community in Chatham County, but for every faith community around the world. Lord, that we would be known as the people who do good, who do their part, who bless others, and who infuse their work with love. Start with us this week, Lord. There are people in Chatham County who need us to love them. Would we give love this weekend? In Jesus' name, amen.